Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. recovery sort of i'm jason i'm a guy who's long-winded i'm billy i'm a person in long-term recovery there's probably nothing more accurate than me being long-winded um <laughs> for sure no honestly i i still i'm still feeling the repercussions i had a i met a new person recently um and they they text me a couple times and i texted them back and then they text me and they asked me for any suggestions yesterday and i I responded with like six fucking long ass book text <laughs> messages and they never replied and my feelings are hurt. And I'm like, Oh my God, I, I scared them off and I'm trying to be okay with this is just who I am, but I'm, it still sucks. Um, so yeah, we, and we, it's funny. I've had a similar experience recently in my life. I've realized like I fucking talk a lot and if I don't watch myself, I will ramble on and think that I'm the most interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I want to so bad text this person and be like, "I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you." But I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. It is what it is. Um. So last week we talked about you know the idea of what's our responsibility with opening home groups back up, and you know I really thought with uh with with Maryland opening back up there would be a little more rush to do this, but it seems like all the people who were already ready to meet in person are kind of already doing that and have been all along in somewhat small sensible ways usually right even even when i say my home group that is meeting at the park is probably not 10 or less people i don't think they're down there like making out having an orgy right i I do (laughs) think it's like still a pretty limited number of people and they're spread out pretty well i'm i'm guessing they're wearing masks i don't know but I, i don't think it's completely irresponsible is what i'm getting at so i think people who are meeting in person have been for quite some time and they're doing it mostly cautiously, I guess. Uh, just a question for you real quick. And you may know the dynamic of your home group a little better. I know it's, you know, people from a recovery house. Does it seem like a lot of the members of that home group are all in the same house? Like no, you have like, like six or seven guys in the same house that are in that home group. I guess It's three different houses uh, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, I think one has like five people, the other one has like six, and the other one has like four or something like that. So now basically instead of being separate in their houses, they're all coming together and being separate at the park together. <laughs> well, and I wonder I just I was curious how much, you know, like if I live in a house with five other guys and I'm seeing them all the time, obviously, you know, my social distancing with them is gonna be more like a family versus right. social distancing from outside a family. So your no, group dynamic would be probably different than mine, who were 
definitely people that are in all different households. Right. So this is like three different households, but I do think the interesting aspect would be that like almost everybody in these houses is still going to work. Mm. And so now yeah. you've taken like the five people who are going to work at this house who are all exposed to different people. And then now you're putting them around the four people who are all going to work in that house. And that, I mean, that's kind of what they wanted to avoid with you yeah. know, <laughs> spreading this thing. That's like a right. lot of different contact. Yeah, but yeah, sure. so I don't think people ran out to, to open up meetings right this second. Uh, I did attend our areas area service, which happened to be this past Thursday. Um, and they had a slight conversation about it. It wasn't very thorough, I don't think. And I don't think everybody was happy about how quickly it went. But it, uh, you know, it kind of addressed some stances of area, which gets into some other questions I might actually ask you at some point, too, because I'm curious. I, I think I know, but I, I want to know better. Uh, but anyway, so we, we, we did that podcast and talked about the face-to-face. And basically, I posed it as a question of, to people on social media, would you switch home groups if your home group did something different than you were ready for? Whether that's if you're ready to go back out, would you find a, a home group that's meeting in person? And if you're not ready to go back out, would you switch? And so uh, just some different responses. Brittany said that she already has a second home group that she's picked up, which is a home group that never, ever met face-to-face and completely just came about because of this virtual thing. Um, She feels like she's not ready. And and so even if her, you know, her regular home group that she used to attend in person did go back to in person, she's kind of got a backup already. Um. And that's, I think that's a sentiment that's kind of echoed throughout this is that people say, you know, if you're not ready, why do you need to switch home groups? Why not just find another meeting for the moment? Um, Yeah, I thought about that too. I thought, well, do you really need to switch? I mean, obviously we hope this is, or I don't know, hope some people feel like uh, this is going to be temporary. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I do think it's temporary. Uh, but, you know, I mean, what is it? It's May, so June, July, August, September. I got four months till I till I, my anniversary. Like, I do want to celebrate somewhere. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm – I don't know what state we'll be in by then. I guess it's more <laughs> playing it by ear. Yeah, um, and I, I've actually thought about that because this year is my 20-year anniversary. Like, that's a big deal. Woo-hoo. And I got to say, I was pretty – if that was going to be virtual, I don't know that I even would have celebrated. I would have probably not. Wow. Yeah. I would do it virtually. I think it's cool. People get to attend that don't normally get to attend, but yeah, I, I get it. I, I so I shared a meeting Saturday morning, yesterday morning, um, at 10 AM and it was nice. I still, it's hard to share virtually with no feedback from your audience whatsoever, but it was a good meeting. Like I got a lot of feedback after my share from people sharing back and it was, it was really good information and I was like enjoying it. Um, I, I will say I, I still always believe anybody that gets up on like Saturday mornings for a 10 a.m. meeting is generally serious about their recovery. And so I, <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, but the guy who asked me to do the meeting messaged me afterwards and thanked me. And that was the first time I think that I have really felt sad that I couldn't be around somebody and wished I could have. And I was like, damn, oh. I, I really would have liked to have been in his presence and, and given him a hug today. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting. I haven't felt that up until then. <laughs> yeah, um, I've met some people and I've wanted to 
hug. Like, that's weird. I did uh, accidentally. I shook a guy's hand just the other day. Like, it was through a work thing, and someone introduced me, said, hey, Billy, this is so-and-so. And I just said, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And I reached out, and he shook my hand, too. And then he goes, you know, we're not supposed to do that, <laughs> right? Right. And it was not, like, had I thought about it for a minute, I would not have done it. And then I felt bad. Not even as much for myself, but for him, like how weird of a situation did I just put him in, you know, and it, it was just weird that it was just so instinctual, you know, so yeah. just react. Now, I've done that twice since this whole thing started uh, once with a neighbor and I, and I felt the same way afterwards. I was like, did I just fucking do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. T-Bear says his home group never closed down. Um, six meetings a day, 365 days a year. Uh, the leader enforced social distancing and they stayed open because the liquor store two doors down was deemed essential. And so their group conscience said they needed to be open too. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. And I, I talked to him a little bit. I said a lot of churches were closed uh, and he was saying that they pay for it to run a space in like a strip mall. Um, oh. And so they just stayed open and I guess nobody's ever told them they couldn't. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, Anna said that she did, she does whatever it takes to protect her parents and other high risk loved ones. Um, she feels like she was like super irresponsible during her using time and put them at risk, whether that was, you know, at a higher risk of actual physical damage or just the fact of the emotional risks and, you know, the way she caused their health damage at that point that she will do everything possible to make sure that doesn't happen today. Uh, I couldn't completely understand what Ramsey was telling me. He said, well, if it's a tradition or step-based group, tradition one is worth a look. Then step four, because it's impossible to properly do a step eight amends if you're too dead to do it or the person you've harmed is dead. I I guess I assumed he was getting at the fact that we couldn't, we shouldn't be meeting yet. And that we would kill (laughs) people. (laughs) I was like, I don't know about that either. And look, here's the worst part. Like, I've done work on all these steps, traditions, and all this. But when somebody's like, oh, tradition one's worth a look, I'm like, fuck, what's tradition one again? (laughs) (laughs) I've heard them read a thousand plus times in my life, and I still have to go back. Well, seven, let me think. I got to start running through the order. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. So I I guess he was saying we weren't ready to do that. Um, John said his home group. said they sent a text message that they were meeting in the parking lot, masks and social distancing, but he took a pass and he needs to practice in all his affairs. If the professionals say it's not safe, then it's not safe. And so that was what we got on Twitter. Uh, Over on Facebook, we had uh, Caroline said she definitely would not change her home group in either scenario. Um, She would just do what was comfortable until things synced up again um you know so if her home group opened and she was not ready she would just not go until she was ready to go and if they chose not to open and she was ready she would attend other meetings and then you know when her home group opened back up she'd be there um and so that was interesting so i kind of you know i asked her i'm like well would you hit another meeting regularly or and she said not particularly like it would probably happen by accident just because she hits pretty much some of the same meetings, but she wouldn't really go out of her way to make another group or home group for now. Um, Robin said the same thing. 
She would not change home groups, but if restaurants open, she's not going there or the movies or her home group. Uh, social distancing and masks help, but the only sure way to stay safe is quarantining. Uh, and then she said something about how, when there's a vaccine, she'll be there. I'm not, uh, see, that's a weird thing too. Like, uh, I'm not, I guess, you know, we had a long conversation before we actually started recording the podcast portion of this. And I don't know what the solution is for me because I don't want a vaccine for this either. Like not for me. I, I don't know if everybody else wants that, that's fine, whatever. But I don't want to take a vaccine for this. And I also don't want herd immunity. So I don't know what the fuck I think the answer is. Like, I obviously <laughs> yeah, just want to stay home forever. <laughs> I didn't think much about this when we were talking about it earlier, but it's different, you know, even like with my wife and I, like she has a different take on most of this than me. And she said, similar to Caroline, like we, I shared earlier with Jason, we went down to the beach this weekend and, you know, we thought, well, some restaurants might start opening up. And I was like, yeah, we should go to a restaurant. You know, they're going to be doing the social distancing and keeping tables separated. And she said, oh, I'm not going to a restaurant. I'm not. You know, she was totally not comfortable with doing that. So, you know, I don't know. I guess there's so many different versions of what what is safe and what people are comfortable with. But I've always been a risk taker in my life anyway. You know, like that's. <laughs> That's my mentality and most things. <laughs> we went down to my mother's last week and my interpretation of that was, hey, we're going to go down here. It's a beautiful day outside. We're going to cook out. We're all just going to stay outside and hang out. And, and, you know, I get it. You're still close outside, but I do think it's a little different. You don't have the stagnant air, the stagnant stuff you're breathing out, sitting in the same room. Like I thought it was a little safer. And of course I should know better, but within 45 minutes of being there, my wife and the baby have disappeared inside and then three kids disappeared inside. It's like all of a sudden I'm the only one outside playing. I'm like, well, all right, I guess we're not following the fucking rules. We're going to sit inside. Like I, yeah. so yeah, my idea is different of what I think is okay too. I just at times lose influence over being able to guide that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And luckily I'll say like, I, I will, I am not so married to my, ideas that i'll fight with my wife about it like i just said oh okay then we won't do a restaurant we'll just get carry out you know like because i don't i don't know it's it's also weird and there's so many variables and it's so it is scary to think like i've heard all the horror stories the other way of healthy people getting sick and all that where it's like uh it doesn't hurt to be a little bit mindful and a little bit careful and you know there's no real downside to being cautious. <laughs> well, like we were, we were driving yesterday and we were trying to figure out where we wanted to eat. And it's, it's tough in my family. The kids always have a, a you know place they want to go, but between my wife and I, we don't really like, neither of us give a fuck. Usually it's like, I don't know what the fuck I got a taste for. I have no idea. Too many options. Yeah. Um, and so we were trying to pick and we ended up picking based on what would be best to eat in the car? Because obviously we're not going in. Like I don't like eating a lot of food in the car. Like yeah. we talked about waffle house. I love waffle house, but I don't want to eat that shit in the car. I want to yeah. eat it at a table. Right. And we, where else? It was somewhere else. We were like, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't want to eat it in the car. Like it's just not car food. And so we ended up going to Chick-fil-A because it was good car food. And That's funny. Chick I'm the same with the, I won't eat French fries in the car. Like I only eat French fries if we sit in the restaurant because I feel like in the car they always get cold and I like ketchup. And then when we were at the beach, we had the same issue with breakfast. Like I love to go to the beach. You go to one of them breakfast places. You get you know a big breakfast of 
eggs and bacon and sausage and all that stuff. And Jen's like, I don't want to get carry out breakfast. You know, by the time you get it and bring it back, the eggs are cold and shit's soggy and the toast is yeah. no good. Like I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so we had to skip, you know, having a good breakfast. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> we did, we did Cracker Barrel one night, like probably three weeks ago or something. And it was, yeah, it was kind of like, eh. some people don't mind reheating their shit. I'm not for the reheating. Yeah, I'm not a reheater either. Fuck that. <laughs> uh, back to the, the Facebook, Barry said, oh, he quoted Cat Stevens and talked about not time <laughs> to make a change and stuff, which was pretty interesting. I was trying to keep up with the lyrics. He was pretty good <laughs> with it. Um. Brian said, why would anybody not be ready? Everybody values the importance of live face-to-face meetings. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. We're going to have an argument. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it ended up not being an argument. I just said, I'm personally not ready to go back. Uh, I said, I don't know of a truly safe way to do them, and I live with a vulnerable population. And he said, well, when you're ready, we'll be here. We love and need you. And I was like, oh, well, that that worked (laughs) out nice. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I I just saw it going a different way. Uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was much in line with, uh, you know, same thing. Just she's going to other countries. She's digging the online thing. She's not ready for, for face to face either. But yeah, I don't, it didn't seem like anybody else was really keen to change their home group. Um, so again, Caroline, uh, talked about, you know, interested to see what would go on at the area, which we were both at. And then, Dawn commented, but I I don't think she was talking about it's up to the individual group consciences about what to do for the meetings. And I I think maybe she read into the comment about area as being that area was going to come up with the solution for everybody. And I, I just clarified, I was like, this was just a a place to gather ideas. Like if people had good ideas about how to, do this safely let's like put them out there so other groups can hear them too right like I, I don't know how to do this right yeah and that's you know my home group is the same we've been talking actually this week about that you know we pretty much i think the group conscience is we're gonna take the meeting off the zoom list we're not gonna do the zoom meeting we're gonna start meeting up again in person and how do we do that in a responsible way, you know, or are we going to wipe down the facility when we leave? You know, we got somebody's bringing Clorox wipes so we can wipe everything down. Um, you know, do we make coffee, you know, all those things. And like, say you just try to hopefully make a responsible decision. And, you know, in our case, it's like, if you make coffee, if someone's not comfortable drinking it, they don't have to. So it's our own, home groups coffee pot. I guess you could still spread it to other people through coffee making. Maybe I don't, I'm not sure. (laughs) I I was kind of confused about the coffee thing too, but Mm. so are places open to do that? Like from what I understood of the way it read, it specifically says that religious institutions can open for religious services. Like it specifically has that language in there to not include other purposes. I guess you could get into the discussion on what is open. So the facility that we meet at, like we have a key to it and it's would only be open during the time of our meeting, which again, I've heard it again. And I don't know if this is true because I personally haven't researched it, but I've heard it again said, and this was in Maryland that 
recovery meetings are an essential service and we technically could have been meeting all along. Um, and again, I don't know where that comes from or who makes that decision, but I just, someone else said it again on Facebook. So I don't know if it's true, but someone said that recovery meetings are considered an essential service. Um, the facilities themselves, I mean, I guess, is it up, like, is a church, which is it, is open to the public the same thing as being open for a meeting, I guess. I don't know. So I just, Is there a distinction? <laughs> right. The, the information I have, I, and I haven't researched this either, so this is not coming from my mouth or, or research. This is coming from uh, Caroline, who said, you know, that she did a lot of research in this area to find out if we were essential in Maryland. And from what she understands, we are not currently that's why the petition was out there to try to make us like other states who have that in place. Um, but from, yeah, from what I read of the governor's uh, newest, you know, phase one reopening plan or whatever that's out there, it specifically states that churches can open up for religious services at 50% capacity, which would mean they can't open up beyond that. Like they were kind of forced into closing too. And, and I've also read that, a lot of these churches, even with the new recommendations, aren't opening up yet. Like they're not, regardless of the fact that they can. But I would just say that to me, the way I read it, it read as if they were not allowed to hold other things or be open for other things. Hmm. So I, I don't so, know. Yeah. Then I wonder, well, I guess that wouldn't matter too much, but we had talked about reaching out to the church and making sure they would be okay with us meeting there or just meeting outside, you know, just meeting out in the parking lot. Being, right. You know, just as that's what the address is on the meeting schedule. So that's where people are going to go. So we could just meet, which we've had our meetings outside before anyway, it wouldn't be anything new. Right. Yeah. So, and that was part of what got talked about at area was uh, Caroline brought up, like she's been in touch with Hartford County uh, parks and recreation, trying to see the feasibility of like having their pavilions. And so trying to have a meeting that meets regularly once or twice a week at their pavilions at the park. Right. So we're outdoors, we're going to social distance. And then we're going to further that hopefully by having the ability to, if it's more than 10 people, take the excess number and go off to another pavilion and still have, you know, we're not turning people away. Um, hmm. <clears throat> and so I found that to be a pretty interesting concept, but area seemed to be against the idea of allowing a new meeting to start to do that. Hmm. I don't know if area itself, the, the, the chairperson was pretty against it. He was rather biased. I think. I don't, they don't have a right to tell anybody who can do anything. I mean, I, any well, members I, can go start a meeting whenever they want. <laughs> and that was the exact point I made, Billy. I said, yeah. people don't need Aria's fucking blessing to go no. start an NA meeting. That's not how this works. Like, obviously, if you all. start a meeting, you can't put it on the Aria's website, maybe. But you're still a fucking meeting if you're a meeting. You're a meeting when you say you right. are. And so that he was trying to say something about whether you could use NA readings or... Uh, I highly disagreed. And I wanted to ask you about that. That was kind of one of the things I'm like, start a I don't... Group without even having to be a part of any area, you don't, you know, right. I can start a group here in Cecil County and ask to be part of the Baltimore area. If I want you like, there's no governance of the area. 
over Greece. But anyway, yeah, yeah that's no, nice. I was, yeah, I, I know, I didn't like any of it. I, I was like, damn it, I need more people in this place to tell me I'm right. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I even like, need to go there and ask them. I can just do whatever I want tomorrow. And that was the exact point I made. Show up and say, hey, I'm meeting here. Anybody wants to meet here? Meet here. We're having an NA meeting, and that's all I need. Bro, I I you know, <laughs> told them about my home group. I'm like, look, my home group is currently meeting. Like that, and and they took themselves off the schedule because they're not going to guarantee that they're there in the rain. But that's a fucking meeting. Like you can't right. tell them they're not. There's no such right. thing as a sanctioned NA meeting. Like there's yeah. no such. It doesn't exist. Well, and groups can decide where they want to meet. I mean, you can do that two ways. One, you could start a new group and say, we're a new group. We're meeting on this day. Or another home group can say, we're also meeting on this day. Now we meet our regular day Thursday, and we're meeting Sunday at the fucking park. Like, right. You don't – yeah, that's – Well, and I me. think – I think the the argument or the what they were pushing for the individual wanted the ability to put that meeting on the area's schedule, and that's what area was or the individual at area was bucking against was every time we allow meetings to start without blah 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 they end up closing quick and then we gotta take them off the schedule. I know it's so hard to delete them off the online fucking yeah, right. schedule. It takes like Jesus. five minutes, right? If that. <laughs> um, and so it was just, it was really interesting to see that. But yeah, so I, I just thought uh, the idea of the park was a pretty good idea. I've yeah. been to actually, I've been to another fellowship where they do, I don't know if they do it at every meeting, but the meeting I went to, that's what they did. They would meet up and if they had a like a group conscience rule, if there was more than 16 people, you counted off by twos and t- went to two different rooms. And it wasn't for this. It was just because that's how they worked and they wanted everybody to have time to share. Um hmm. And they even had it like if they I think they had at one point more than 24 and you went to three different rooms and it was like that was just how they operated. And so it's not unheard of like we we can do things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only thing we got on Instagram about it was the person that said that they weren't there yet either to be ready to go back out and be patient and kind to others and herself and do what feels right for you. And, I, you know, pretty open and accepting way of life. I like that. Um, we did also get a message on Instagram from Stephanie who talked about, she would like to hear a podcast about each principle and how to incorporate it into daily life. Uh, and, you know, also podcasts about the traditions because she doesn't know as much about them. And so I, I thought a little bit about that. I think I sent you a text earlier this week to just kind of, yeah. I, I like the idea. I think we've had the idea of like, a cliches uh podcast i've been wanting to do that for a while and i don't know if we could fit every cliche into one podcast or if it would have to be like a two or three parters a lot of cliches um but i would like to dissect them and talk about whether they're actually useful or fucking stupid because some of them are definitely stupid um so maybe we will get around to the the principle and and the cliche stuff i guess at some point we'll run out of other shit to talk about or Something the traditions I was thinking we probably end up doing that next year, like tradition a month, like we do the step a month this year. Yeah, that would be fun. The traditions are interesting. Will we be around that long? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it hasn't. I'm out of pocket zero dollars at this point, so I can keep going indef- indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. I I do want I do want us to have a little studio at some point. I think that'd be awesome. I mean, I'm still in. We canceled our not canceled, but we came back on our 
from our beach trip yesterday just to be here to do this today. So really, yeah, we were doing it remotely. You could have just took your computer. <laughs> yeah, we could have. I mean, we could have, and that wasn't the only reason. Obviously, was, we had some other reasons too. But that was into the decision making. Was like. It's almost like my home group now. Like this is what I do on Sunday mornings, and now Jen's kind of seen that this is a commitment that's pretty regular. That I'm pretty—I don't want to say rigid, but I'm pretty uh, committed to, and it's it weighs heavily in my decisions on what I'm doing with my weekend. <laughs> that's funny. I was thinking the other day that if we ever had to like miss one, or one of us had to miss one, we could either—I mean, we did it before we recorded on another night. But I was like, we could always have like a guest co-host too that would be kind of interesting like billy did one with somebody yeah. else one week and then if he had the vacation and i did one with somebody else that'd be cool i guess yeah and the truth is now we kind of know how easy this is to do remotely if it had to happen i mean i'm still pushing i'm ready to meet back in person and you're not obviously but you know it's it's really not a major hurdle to do this remotely so it's not right now uh but this right now is google uh meet is offering the free recording, which has come out pretty well sound wise. So when they stop offering that because of the pandemic, it will become difficult again because then we need some other way to record this. Mm. And that might be trickier. This is pretty simple. I love it. Yeah. I'm jealous. I can't have this forever. I need to, I'm going to actually pick my, my future job based on if they have Google meet recording access. (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously I would think it's a service you can pay for. Do you know roughly what they charge? So here's the difficulty in that. From what I understand, they have different tiers of their business level and the recording thing is an add on. And so you have to pay for it. So, but first you would have to pay to get the service of Google meet per employee for your business. And then you would have to pay for the add on of recording. And I don't know if you can do that on a one person basis. Um, I have access to Google meet through a nonprofit, which Mm. is cool, but I don't think the nonprofit has the ability to have the add on, which is, it's so fucking convoluted. It's like, can't make it simple. (laughs) Maybe they will after this because they've kind of opened up Google meet to the average user now. So maybe after this, it will become a a paid add on. I'd pay $5 a month if we were using it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much all the, the recap of people from, from last week. Uh, I I love the ideas. Thank you for anybody who sends in ideas about topics and, and those types of things. That's great. Um, I think that does fit in and maybe that's something we'll, hop around to addressing soon. Uh, like I said, I, I don't know. We didn't really have a topic this week till we showed up today. So yeah. I'm still not sure it's a topic, uh, but yeah, maybe we'll, we'll hit those principles and cliches in upcoming episodes. That could be fun. I know next week we got Jenny. Uh, we're going to do that. Did I tell you that? Did I not tell you? Uh, that? I, probably... I think you did. I think you oh, did okay. get back about that. Yeah. Yeah. So next week we're going to talk was... about the recovery Dharma program. Yeah, so that she was on before the pandemic really hit. She was like one of that that first or second week we were went into actual stay at home order. She was supposed to come in, wasn't it, or was it right before that? Anyway, it was right around the time all this started. Yeah, yeah, it was right then. And then she was like, "Ah, it might be safer not to." And then so we we talked to her, and they actually started meeting back up last week um, in person. And I yeah, think they're uh, outside. Yep. Yeah, outside. Yeah. And she said there was only like four or five people that were probably coming anyway. So they should be able to social distance pretty well and follow guidelines. But, well, I mean, hey, we'll 
you know, be able to talk to her about that too and get that experience. And so it's Recovery Dharma, right? That's the name of the program. Yes, that is the name of the program. Recovery and what's the Dharma. other one that was before that? Um, it used to be called Buddhism Recovery. <laughs> It wasn't called that, but oh, I can't remember what it was called now. I feel like it was something with a B. Maybe not. Yeah, I can't. I, I got to look it up. <laughs> well, it was called something else, and then somebody slept with some people, and now it's Recovery Dharma. Yeah. Because that's how that thing works. Um, so I, I don't know. Do you want to take the quick break now and then come back and talk about our, our shopping cart uh, experiment or – yeah, that sounds okay. good. That sounds like right. a good plan. Perfect. We'll pause now for our break. Uh, you'll hear the voices, Ed, and then we'll be right back and we'll get to today's topic, maybe, because it takes oh. us forever to get to shit. Oh, what is it? Refuge Recovery. It was Refuge called Refuge recovery. recovery. That is not a B and sounds nothing like Buddhist Recovery. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a Buddhist path to recovery, So, but that's what it was called. Uh, I was way off. All right, let's hit our break and we'll be right back. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, uh, so we are going to get to the shopping cart. I call it the shopping cart thing is what I wrote on my fucking notes. That's great. Um, I saw this <laughs> thing the other day. That, so an old philosophical concept is the idea that you're looking at a train, trains going down the tracks. If you do nothing, five people are on the tracks and they're all going to die. And yet there's a switch, a lever right in front of you. You're at the train station. You're too far away to flag the people. There's not enough time. But you're, there's a switch in front of you, and you see you can pull the switch, and the train will not hit these five people and kill them. Unfortunately, there's one person on that track. And so you are going to kill the one person if you pull the lever, but you save the five. And so it's the philosophical thought experiment of, you know, by doing nothing, five people die and you can do something and, you know, one person dies. And that seems like the greater good to save the the five and, you know, lose the one. That seems like generally what people in society would go for. And yet it's not quite that simple, right? Um, we like to think that more saving more people is better. But at the same time, by you pulling that lever, you are actively killing someone. You are making a decision to kill a person. Whereas the other side of that is, yes, those five people are going to die, but there's nothing you could do about that, right? And so 
And then I guess it gets into the trickiness of like who we value more. You know, I'm sure if people would say if the one person was the president or, or somebody important, a doctor who, you know, could possibly cure cancer, they would obviously want to save him over the five and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, based on this old philosophical, you know, thought process, I recently we came across the, the shopping cart version, right? And it was described as you can do nothing. And your shopping cart sits in the parking lot after you're done shopping and loading your car. Or you can pull the lever and you take your shopping cart over to the, you know, the little cart kiosk or whatever you'd like to call it. The little tented place or sometimes it's not tented. Um, But where the carts go, the cart corral, we'll call it. Um, And so basically what they were explaining is there's no consequence or punishment for just leaving the cart where it is. Right. Like you don't get arrested. There's no fine. Nobody's going to give you a ticket. Uh, Nobody is, you know, you're not going to get struck by lightning by leaving the cart there. Like there's no real penalty to doing that. The only difference is, you know, taking it to the cart corral is basically beneficial for everybody else in the world. Um, And so judging by that, they were saying that's kind of the ultimate defining quality of whether you are altruistic or not, whether you care about other people even if it doesn't really benefit you because there's no real benefit to taking the cart to the cart corral, except it helps others. It's good. It's out of people's way. It helps the workers. They're all gathered up nicely for them to take them up. Like, and this was the, the, the process of it. And so we kind of talked about this a little bit already before we started recording. And and we thought it was a kind of interesting topic to talk about, like what is right in that situation. And I'll let Billy take it away. He had some good ideas going on. Yeah, so one of the reasons I thought this was kind of relevant to our current situation is because of the situation with wearing face coverings or masks or whatever when we're out in public. Um, Obviously, there is some what I would call minor. Maybe some people think it's a major inconvenience to wearing masks when you're out in public. Um, But there is a sort of idea of like a greater good, like you're you're potentially helping so many people that you don't know or don't see or don't necessarily interact with um, that, you know, it's, it's just a, if nothing else, it's just a kind gesture that you can do that takes a minimal amount of effort. But you see that there are a lot of people that are very seem to be harshly against it and feel like it is just this major injustice And so when you describe that cart dilemma, I thought of that as like a kind of similar thing. Um, For me, I like to say that I'm a person that takes the cart back almost all the time. Um, There's very few times where I will not take it back, which is a whole nother conversation. Or what are the times that I feel justified in not taking it back? And how come most of the time I will do it? I feel like it's such a minimal amount of effort. Um, Sometimes it's just looking how close is the closest cart return? You know, is it, is it 30 feet? Is it 80 feet? Is the one over where I'm going to take the cart overly full and I can't fit another cart in it. I'm going to have to push it over there and try to get it out of the way anyway. You know, all those sort of decisions that come in to what feels like such a minor thing. Um, But yeah, so this cart dilemma for me brought up the, really the thinking of how 
I don't know that I am ever 100% in on either. You know, I, I don't know that as many times as I like to say, yeah, the right thing is to take the cart back. There are going to be times, there are going to be occasions, there are going to be instances where my self-centeredness wins out, where whether it's self-centeredness, I'll call it self-centeredness, could be laziness, could be inconvenience, whatever. They're all versions of self-centeredness. But even though nine times out of 10, I'll do the right thing. There's always that one out of 10 where I'm not taking that fucking cart back and justifying and rationalizing it and getting in my car and driving away. And then what I've noticed is I usually remember those times because there is a sense of guilt or a sense of irresponsibility that comes along with that. Um, but even, you know, as recently as the last probably month, there have been times where I have not taken the cart back. And so what does that, what does that mean exactly? Is the, I mean, do we think this is a good experiment to, to tell something about people? Like, is, is this relevant? Well, I think it's important to understand that not everyone is, can be based on one decision that they make. You know what I mean? Like we are in our lives, we are a combination of the whole of our decisions. You know, it's, it's, Holding people, so we see this a lot in politics right now, and it's kind of disgusting. It's like, oh, you made one bad decision back in 1987 about this one bad thing, so that encompasses the whole character of who you are now 30 years later. Um, and I don't know that that's fair to people, you know? It's not fair to me. If you were to hold me to the standard of, hold on, somebody's trying to have me join a meeting. I don't know that uh, if, if you held me to whatever the worst decision that I made in the last 30 days, if that's a fair assessment of my character as a whole, um, I think that as people, we are sort of complex and that what we hope is that we can overcome some of our bad tendencies that we can learn to become better people. But I don't think it's a total, you know, a, uh, what do they call that? Like a net sum thing where it's like, you're all this or all that. Like, no, most of the time I'm a good person, but I'm still occasionally a shitty person and I got to kind of be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that's interesting. And so I was kind of sitting here thinking about this for me. Like I am pretty sure I, I do take the cart back period. Like, I think that's just what I do, but why? Right. Is it, is it the guilt feeling I'll have if I don't? I'm sure that's part of it. Um, I was curious if I did the right thing there because I, I'm capable of it. And so if I don't try to do all the right capable things I can do to make up for the times when I'm a shitty person and I'm not capable of being different, right? The times when like I'm overly angry with my kids that I don't want to be. And for whatever reason, I don't have control of that. And so maybe in life, I try to do all these other right things perfectly to make up for those times. I know I don't have any ability for whatever reason yet to be better. Hmm. And so I, I don't know. And that's, that kind of led me when you were talking about not judging people by their worst moment, I was like, well, does this mean we're all actually even like, is every person in the world truly even in their ability of right and wrong? And it's just in different areas. And so we tend to look at some areas more important than others. But the fact is, honestly, we're all doing some level of right and some level of wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I think there is definitely people that have tendencies towards being more self-centered and more uh, evil, if you want to use the word evil. I mean, obviously, we know there's extremes of, of personalities, and there are evil people in the world, the sort of serial killer, mass murder. You know, I guess serial killers maybe are different than mass murderers. That's a whole other conversation. But, you know, in general, I think there are evil people that do more harm than good. Um, I think for me as a person in recovery, there was a large part of my life where I was a person that probably did more harm than good. And now I'm trying to reverse that through this process of recovery, through learning how to live spiritually. Um that's sort of one of those ways I've tried to explain recovery to, to earth people, normal people, whatever, is to be like, when I was a person that used a lot, I tended to be really sort of self-centered, self-serving, and knowing that it was wrong didn't give me the tools to live any differently. You know, I still lived self-centered, self-serving, because that's all that I knew. And when I found a 12-step recovery and found, you know, a process of sort of what I'll call fixing my bad thinking through working these steps, it made a lot more sense than someone just saying like, don't you just have this conscious that tells you that what you're doing is wrong? And it's like, eh, kind of, but I've learned to like, ignore that son of a bitch, you know, that's <laughs> very inconvenient. And, you know, but this process of steps has given me you know, step work has given me like these incremental changes that I can make that lead to a greater change. Um, but, you know, that underlying, uh, what I'll call that underlying addiction, that underlying self-centeredness is still there sometimes, you know, it still creeps up on days that I'm not at my best or I'm not uh, fully, fully awake in I think it's nice to be able to give other people that leeway too, to the, to not hold people to whatever, you know, for example, you know, you see the guy, like I know I do. If I saw a guy, you know, drive down the road and not use a turn signal, it's easy to be like, what an irresponsible asshole. Doesn't he know he can kill somebody by not just using a turn signal. It takes a minimal amount of effort to use a turn signal. And yet I know that in my life, I have changed lanes without using a turn signal. Um, I know that it's happened and I've done the same thing. And when I'm doing those things, I'm not like going, yeah, fuck other people. And I don't care if I kill someone and who knows, you know, it's usually like I got something in one hand and my hands over here, but I really need to change lanes. And I'm like, fuck, I got to do this, but I know it's not right, but I do it anyway. You know, like looking at things from that perspective helps me to be a little more, uh, understanding of other people and a little more uh, compassionate towards other people living their life, you know, and the times that I don't return the shopping cart are not times where I'm going, yeah, fuck some asshole that works at Walmart. He can come get this cart. You know, that's his goddamn job anyway. Like that's not usually my thinking behind that. But if I see someone not return the cart, that's what I think their thinking is. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's weird how I'll fall into that pattern. Yeah, uh, no, I, I'm with you. I do the same thing. I'm I'm guilty of judging people for things that I have done for sure. 
Uh, I don't think that I'm thinking that they're running around being malicious in the sense of, yeah, fuck the guy at Walmart. He's got to get the cart. I think they're being self-centered because that's where I'm at when I am doing those things. I'm like, eh, what I got to do is more important than other people. Like, that's just the way it is right now. I, it's not important enough for me to go out of my way for anybody else. I, I'm, you know, totally consumed by what I'm doing. Not always. There's times when I'm just unconsciously self-centered and not realizing it. But there's also times when I'm actively making that choice to make someone else's life harder because it makes mine easier. Like it is what it is. Well, Um, and are there times where that's true? You know what I mean? Like, are there times where what's going on in my life is definitely more important? Like, you know, it's always the, the sort of scenario that people play out, at least for me, I should say it this way. I try to play out a scenario in my head that makes me less judgmental of bad drivers, for example, or people that cut me off. And it's the thing of like, oh, maybe that guy's wife or family members in the hospital in some emergency and he's just trying to get there as quick as possible. You know, that's why he's driving like an idiot and cutting people off. Maybe it's not that he's just some irresponsible, crazy person, but maybe there is a reason why he needs to be driving that way. And if his family member was in the hospital on their deathbed or his wife was at, you know, in labor, um, maybe it is okay that he cut me off. Maybe it's really not that big a deal and I don't need to stay on my self-righteous high horse. Like maybe in that case, his needs are greater than mine in that moment. And this is why I return the cart every goddamn time because I can't (laughs) help my (laughs) self-righteousness. Great. That's where I don't look so happy and positive all the time because my self-righteousness does shine through because I, I look, the behavior is not my problem, right? The guy who cuts me off, maybe he was in an urgent ride to see his wife one last time in the emergency room. And I don't have a problem with that. My problem is that as a society, I feel like people are fucking entitled and it, I'm just over it. I'm over their entitlement. Like I hate, I hate me when I'm acting entitled. I hated all my entitled behaviors throughout my active addiction. And now seeing that mirror reflected to me of most of society acting like entitled little fucks drives me crazy. I hate it. And so look, this whole conversation, people for you all to don't know, Billy and I had like a, a good hour <laughs> plus of like debating what's going on a little bit before this happened. And Billy is one of if not the only person, one of less than five people that I could have had that conversation with and not fucking hated them afterwards, honestly. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. (laughs) And so that shit's going on YouTube for sure, but I I don't want to get back into that discussion for the podcast whatsoever. I try to keep our podcast away from the politics to the best of our ability. But that's kind of where this stemmed from was we were debating, you know, whether we should still be quarantined, whether the government should have the quarantine ability to do that, whether they're actually stealing rights, whether people are just entitled, you know, we have different sides of that. And so we were discussing a lot of those ideas. Um, And that's kind of what led us to the shopping cart thing, uh, talking about the masks and what's a right. So people who don't return shopping carts, is that, what is that against to the detriment of others. I I feel like it's a little different because obviously if you leave your shopping cart out, you're probably not going to, you know, catch a virus that kills somebody that you pass it to. Like that's a little different in that sense with the mask equation. 
I, I just, I don't know. Nothing the government has done yet has made me feel like my rights were trampled on or, or taken from me. I feel like everything I'm doing in line with the government guidelines, I guess, has been it, to help people. I, I just feel like I'm doing a good thing. I don't feel like anything's been robbed of me. I feel like I'm sacrificing because hopefully it helps. That's how I've looked at it. And so I'm trying to put that into the shopping cart thing somehow. Like, I think that's the same way I look at it. I do it because I think it helps, not because it does anything for me. I don't, I don't know. And, and what does that mean for people who never return the shopping cart? Yeah. And I think for me that, that, you know, like I say the shopping cart dilemma thing. Um, one of the, I tend to be a person who's really critical of other people. Um, I'm critical of myself. So I'm really critical of other people. And my, what I'll call my nature is to think the worst of people, you know, to always think that their intentions are selfish and self-serving. And that's, whether it's true or not, isn't as important (laughs) as understanding that thinking that way makes me, I'm going to say makes me a worse person. Um, and I'll kind of go the other way with that. So giving people the benefit of the doubt, assuming that there is an emergency, there's some crisis, there's some reason that's greater than me that they need to do this selfish act gives me a, a place to be a better person. You know, if I'm always looking at it, that people are selfish and self-serving and, you know, assholes, which again, Probably true, <laughs> um, if, but if I always look at it with those glasses, then I sort of throw the innocent people who aren't living that way into that boat versus throwing the shitty self-centered people into the good boat. And I, as a person, react better in my life on a daily basis, even when I throw the shitty people into the good boat. You know what I mean? Like I still – then I can react in a way that's like, hey – I don't need to get all angry. I don't need to maybe fucking run my mouth or make my snarky comments at them or, you know, shoot some sarcasm their way. Like I can just assume that, Oh, they must've needed that. But, and trust me, I'm definitely not perfect at that. I still have my days where I make my comments and say my stuff and flick people off or cut me off on the highway. But those are the things that then I feel shitty about myself. And I feel like, God, now I'm a, you know, I don't, that's not the person I want to be. The person I want to be is like a compassionate, understanding and kind human being. Um, I think for me, where the, where this came in with the masks. And again, I was talking about some of this before this kind of led me to this understanding is early on in the pandemic, you know, me and my family were people that started sort of wearing masks or started down that path before they even, you know, made it the law. We said, Hey, you know, we're wearing these masks to help protect other people. It's not necessarily to protect us. And it's really a minor inconvenience to wear a mask, to go out into the store and whatever. So let's just do it, you know, because it's helpful and it sets a message. It sets a tone to everyone else. Like, yes, we care about other people. Um, And, now that it's been that way for a couple of weeks, now it's been a law. What I started realizing was if they 
reversed the law or reversed it where I didn't have to wear a mask in public, my immediate reaction is to be like, yeah, fuck that mask. I'm not wearing it anymore in public. And I don't think that's the person that I want to be. Like, I think I still want to be a person that cares enough. I don't want to let that self-centeredness creep in. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to let that for me. No, I'm not saying if, if you're a guy that's out in a store not wearing a mask because fuck that and you want your rights and all that stuff. Like, I get it. And that should be your right, whether it's to wear a mask. I wish people would be more considerate. You know, I wish people would would sort of take this seriously. Um, But I can see how easy it is to creep into that self-centered place. Like it, it happens with me. You know, I do it myself if I'm not being really fucking uh, self-aware. That's interesting. I, I, you know, I remember going to the store. It was right before the mass thing started. And I, I looked at my wife and I, and I was like, I, I think we got to wear masks. And she was like completely against it. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, like, I don't think she realized the seriousness. I just think she didn't really want to wear a mask because it's awkward and she didn't want to be noticeable to people like, Oh my God, look at that weirdo with a mask on. Right. I think that was her deal. Um, but I, I just could not, picture myself going to the store without it whether even if it really doesn't help me it feels like it does like it feels like it's safer to wear that shit than it feels without it and that's where i was at i'm like you know what i'm not taking any chances i'm wearing this bitch like i don't give a fuck and so that's kind of where i'm at today honestly when people say we don't have to wear them anymore i'm like i don't know about that i I, I think i'm gonna keep mine on for a while i might never stop wearing this shit yeah. Well, and that was one of the, you know, to, to play the devil's advocate about the masks. Now you're starting to see all these, like, the negative effects of wearing a mask and you're fucking re-inhaling your own CO2 or some shit. It's like just weird stuff that people say, like, and, and I want to sort of shake my head and go, really? Is that is that really a concern? Like, but, you know, there is a level of inconvenience to it. There is a level of you know, I've had one time where like I walk, we live a like a block and a half from the hardware store. And there was a time I walked down to the hardware store and got to the door and went, fuck, I forgot my mask. Then I had to turn around and walk home and then turn around and walk back. And it was like, if it wasn't a law, would I have just went in the store anyway and did my shopping without going back and getting a mask? You know, where is my, where does my responsibility level sort of, top out <laughs> you know it's interesting i i you know i almost feel like it's like and, and i guess maybe because i have two teenagers and i see this a lot it just feels like our our population is very like i don't even know if a lot of people believe in not wearing masks it's just almost like a you told me to so i'm not gonna it's very right. it's very much seems like yeah. a i don't want to be told what to do and, and it's I don't know. I just find that so weird. I, I look at my daughters who do the same exact thing. It's like you tell them to eat a, with a fork in their right hand and they eat with a fork in their left hand or something or a spoon or it's like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> just being contrary, just to be contrary. And I, I would have to go back and get the exact, you know, uh, setup for it. But there was a thing on, I think it was 2020 
Dr. Fauci was on 2020 telling people that masks weren't fucking useful. And I'm like, wait a minute. You guys were just telling, you know, first you said we shouldn't wear a mask. Then you say we should. And now you're saying it's not helpful. It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) You kind of, even with that stuff, you get so many mixed messages, you know, and again, for me, I try not to moralize my decisions onto other people because they probably don't have the information. At least that's what I like to think. I like to think they just don't have the information to make good decisions, you know, and that if we could do a better job at, at educating and, and setting an example, and it's sort of like, you know, even with wearing a mask, like I'm all for it. I think people should do it. I think it's great. But I don't think if I go out and try to shame people into it and guilt them into it and tell them how fucking irresponsible they are and what a selfish jerk they're being, like, I don't think that's going to encourage them to be responsible stewards in their community. (laughs) I think there's a better way of going about that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what the right way for sure. And it's so hard to like navigate this conversation and not bring back up yeah. <laughs> so much of what we talked about. I'm like trying my damnedest to avoid a lot of those areas. Uh so one thing I will ask, and and this kind of came up, it's sort of relevant to the shopping cart thing, maybe. Um definitely relevant to that entire hour of conversation we had where, you know, it seems like over a couple month period, you have changed your mind about some of these uh, things yeah, that sure. we were doing. Um, and, and, you know, I, I had asked about, you know, numbers and stuff that you were paying close attention to early on. And you said you weren't really looking at a whole lot of that now. And so it came up to me, and this is something that was posed to me a long time ago. Are we what we put in us? Like, are we a product of what we put into us, whether that's information, music, art, people's opinions, like, are we a product of whatever it is we're surrounding ourselves with? You know, the, I mean, there's the idea you are the average of your closest four friends and, you know, all those kind of things. But I just, I asked this because it seemed that before you were very in line with reading numbers and reading information from experts in maybe other countries and, and, you know, what seemed to be trustable information. Um, You know, obviously I don't think any of us trust our media or government all that much on either side. So I don't think we read too much about what comes out of you know, the U S information wise, but it seemed like you were putting this other outside information that seemed relevant into you and you had one opinion. And I was just curious if you felt like stopping that information had given you a different opinion, because now what you're putting into you is your day-to-day behavior and interactions, right? Like, Oh, I go to work and nothing bad happens. I talk to people at work and nothing bad happened to them. So that's what I'll go with is my immediate experience instead of more info. Well, and I would actually say it's almost on top of that. I have listened to a couple of different podcasts with people that are scientific people um, sort of the other way. Like I've, I've looked for some of that information like, okay, well, who's out here saying, you know, it's okay to open up and who's out here saying that, this stuff isn't as bad as they say it is. And what's their point of view and and where are they coming from with some of this? And so the answer to your first question is 
100% yes. I think we are definitely a product of what information we put into us. Um, I've, I mean, that's why motivational speaking works. That's why having a trainer at the gym works. You know what I mean? Like we need that outside influence to be like, hey, this is the right thing to be doing. This is what you, you know, that helps us overcome our own uh, barriers, hangups, like for me personally, that's the point of going to meetings and sponsorship. It's like I need that outside uh, influence, that outside point of view, that direction from some people that I think have an intelligent perspective. Um, because, again, left to my own devices, I tend to, you know, believe my own hype. You know? <laughs> like, so I need influences of people outside of myself. Um, I think for me personally, where I've gotten sort of lost in some of this, uh, uh, the numbers coming out of like what I'll call like the government or the, the media side of things are hearing of what I would call typical uh, corruption of the system, which has been things like, so hospitals right now are suffering, some of them. Because one, they haven't seen this huge intake of patients that they thought was going to happen, at least not in most hospitals. Some have. Some hospitals have been overwhelmed. There are definitely some hospitals in New York that have been hit very hard that have really, you know, people have had to go out. But a lot of hospitals haven't. They've cut out all these elective surgeries. They have this drastic decrease in patients. So now, you know, if they can get more federal money of these COVID dollars that are out there, that's how they're helping to sort of recoup some of this uh, financial impact that this has had on them. So they are now financially incentivized to, I'm not even going to say lie. I don't think it's some grand conspiracy that they're just making shit up. There, there's some of that out there, but you know, that they have now a financial invested interest to sort of make this seem worse than it is. Um, there's, one or two uh, speculative uh, pieces on Dr. Fauci, why he would have reasons to be, to take a specific political point of view um, about why this is so bad and stuff like that. So there are those points of view out there. Um, I don't totally succumb to the, like, this is all conspiracy and like, no, I, I personally feel like this was, something we didn't know about this virus, this sickness came out of sort of nowhere. All of a sudden it started infecting a bunch of people. People were dying. I mean, it was very serious. And so we took it really serious. Now it feels like, okay, we've kind of got a handle on it. We've kind of got a, a grasp on what's going on. And so we can take some personal responsibility to live in a way that's going to help minimize or reduce risks without, without having such a dramatic or an even sometimes negative impact on the quality of lives of hundreds of millions of people. So I just think, I think what we did up to this point, totally justified. I'm not saying we shouldn't have done it. I don't think it was wrong, but I think we can roll back some of that, still encourage some really personal, you know, Hey, Social distancing, probably a really good idea right now. Don't have 30 people at your house in a fucking cookout. You know, it's probably not a great idea. Wearing masks, pretty minimal impact, pretty simple thing that most people can do. 
I think it's a really responsible thing to do. That's great. Um, should I not be able to get a haircut or take my dog to the dog groomers? Eh, that seems a little excessive. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Now, I'm not going to fucking lose any sleep if they don't do that tomorrow. And I'm not protesting the government that they should open it up so that my dog can get a fucking haircut. I don't care that much. But I think that that impacts those people in a way that I don't necessarily see or understand, you know, that under that affects people that barbers and barber shops and that affects dog groomers in those businesses. And that affects some of these other people in a really negative way, you know, that I think is a little extreme. Damn it. You took us right into the heart of the material, didn't you? Uh, God, how to respond to that without, I I guess I would try to minimize out of that by saying, I think we can, we can, whether it's the government or whether it's me or whether it's you or whether it's anybody else trying to force good decision-making and morality on other people just never really seems to work. Like we just, we really need to do it. I think we'll have better results from a place of love and compassion and understanding and encouraging people. Um, And maybe that's a very optimistic way of looking at society as a whole. But again, I always try to, for myself personally, try to go back to the optimism side of things because it makes me, it allows me to live as a better person. You know, it allows me to be a better human being when I'm coming at people from an optimistic point of view. And when I say, look, if I just try to encourage people or, or educate people and at work, those little five second conversations, you know what I mean? A guy at work says, well, I'm fucking masks Don't help me anyway. I could take that couple of minutes to go, Hey, you know what? I've been told you're not really wearing the mask for you. You're wearing that mask for other people. So that when you're out in the store, if while you're out working all day, if you come across that virus, you're not spreading it to other people. If you got it, you got it. And you know, that's really a shame. But you can help spreading that by wearing a mask when you go into the grocery store. Like, I think that's a better approach than saying you have to wear a fucking mask when you go into the grocery store. Don't ask any questions. You just do it because we fucking told you to. I I will clarify that we are not doctors or disease experts or or (laughs) biologists or any fucking thing else. So, you know, our views are definitely our own and don't represent what anyone should be doing in their life right now uh, or, or what is fair and operative procedure for this. Um, you know, we, we have opinions and thoughts and theories, but they don't exactly qualify as expert stuff that anyone should follow. And I don't know if we could get sued for that or just that I want to qualify that we have our own opinions. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely not an expert and I don't know what you should be doing. Don't listen to me. (laughs) You know, I I think, I guess some of the stuff, I haven't heard any super, strong arguments yet that convince me otherwise basically is where i'm at with it um i i'd love to believe that we can help people be better by taking those minutes to explain things and and trying to be compassionate with them but i don't believe as a whole that people are so wonderful already that they will take into consideration other people's lives without somebody telling them to i just don't i think we have those rules we talked about, I mentioned seatbelts and stuff like that. We got to protect people from themselves. We got to tell people you have to wear a seatbelt to save yourself, right? And and you say that comes with a privilege. I don't think it's really any different. 
I think we got to tell people how to fucking live. And if we don't, they'd run around shooting people like the old West and doing what they felt like doing. <laughs> and so I, I don't, I don't see where this would ever happen without uh, some kind of regulation in place. Um, the hospital thing doesn't completely make sense to me. Like, do I believe that hospitals would take advantage of this situation to get more money? Fucking right. They would, who wouldn't. Right. Like this is every, this is what we all do. Oh my God. I can get an extra $5 on my taxes back. If I marked that I bought, you know, a Snickers bar at, at Royal farms last year. Fuck. Yeah. I bought a Snickers bar at Royal farms. Uh, so yeah, of course uh, there's going to be situations where hospitals mark some deaths as associated with this that might not have been completely associated with this. But if the intent was to make up for all the elective procedures, they're not doing that's ass backwards because hospitals would want to lower the numbers to get back to the elective procedures and all the money they can make from it. So that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. They would want this shit to be over to to open back up. Yeah, but they're forced to follow the national guidelines, national health guidelines. They can't can't just go, uh, fuck them guys. We're doing what we want. Well, to some extent they can. Maryland just opened up elective procedures like a week or two ago. Like, it's not federal. That's a state thing. And if they had lowered the numbers sooner, like if they're misreporting and they could have reported normal numbers sooner and opened up sooner, they would have. Like, they would have gotten back to the money as soon as they could have. So that, I don't, I'm not sold on that. That seems like some tinfoil theory to me. I I don't, I don't buy that. It doesn't make any sense. I'm all about common sense. And to me, common sense in this world is people make decisions based on the most money they could get the highest profit and benefit for them, right? People put money at the top of their list of things that are important and things will make sense if you look to where is the most money being made. And so that theory and that standpoint doesn't make sense to me. I think they would have made the choice to get back to the big money that they could have made as opposed to getting a couple extra dollars per death. Hmm. But I don't think they were concerned about getting overwhelmed by people with coronavirus in the beginning no they were but as soon as they realized that wasn't a thing they'd have wanted to go back to normal to make their money it's kind of like disney world disney world would be open right now if it wasn't uh, a safety issue like if there's money you can make let's get back to it and that's why they're opening up elective procedures because they're like yeah fuck yeah we can get back to this the state said it's okay so we're doing it you're not seeing any hospitals that are going you know what no we're not doing elective procedures because we still don't think it's safe like they're all now that they can, they're going to do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any hospitals say, oh, we can, but we're not because we think that that's irresponsible. Yeah, I get that. I just don't think they would have like mass over reported numbers because that would have kept them shut down from elective procedures longer. Yeah, we, saying- and in the beginning, I think it would, we all had a right to be fearful. I mean, obviously, the worst thing for the hospitals would have been to be overwhelmed with sick people that they couldn't take care of that would be catastrophic i mean not just for their financial but for our society i mean gosh i would hope that they're making decisions for our health at least a little bit right yeah i I don't they would err on the side of caution but yeah i don't know though so i I guess back to try to get away from this more uh how do but how do we if we know that what we put into us is what we are, right? And that that means that we could on any given day be the guy who returns the shopping cart or who doesn't. 
the guy who gleefully wears a mask thinking that he's doing the right thing for people or the guy who watches a different news channel and thinks somebody's robbing him of his rights. Like, mm-hmm. how can we use that information to our benefit if we know that's what people are? So there was a time when, you know, journalists and news stations felt an obligation <laughs> to report both sides of every story right? Hey, this is what one side kind of believes about it. And this is what the other side kind of believes about it. And here's that information. You put that all into you and come up with what makes sense for you. And we don't have that today. We have very one-sided stories being told all over the place, depending on what side you want to hear uh, or what side you associate with, right? And so we have made it possible to completely surround yourself with only people who agree agree with one side, whether that's a news channel you watch, whether that's the Facebook groups you're a part of, whether that's the Facebook friends you have and haven't deleted yet because they talk some other side to you. So if we know we are what we put into us and we have, because of our freedom, are allowed to choose to only hear half the story at any given point in time, how do we ever affect our population to want to be the people who put the shopping carts back or the people who want to be the people who want to wear masks to help others. Like, I don't feel like we can ever reach those people because everything they put into them is the opposite. It's all some other thing. And I'm not, I don't want to just say this in one direction of, you know, how to convince them how to wear masks. Maybe it's to convince them not to wear masks, right? How do we do that too? Like, cause people who, don't watch that channel are going to think that masks are important. Yeah. So, and I'll try to get, you know, tie this in with recovery. Cause that's been my, most of my adult life experiences. Like that's one of the, for me, been a great benefit of being a person involved in a 12 step recovery program. It's like those traditions and the things that we do in the program, you know, I can go there um, in our particular fellowship like it's a spiritual based program so i'm going there to learn about spiritual principles hopefully in a way that's not political that's not one-sided that's not coming from a single perspective and we have these traditions that help to keep some of that out of like a fellowship like ours so that you know because guess what i'll just not to out my political stance too much. I don't like Trump. I am not a Trump supporter. I hate Trump, but I know that I go to a home group that there's a couple guys in there that fucking love that guy. They think that he's great, you know, and we'll occasionally banner back and forth and joke about it outside of the meeting or before the meeting. But when we get into that program, when we get into that, you know, the actual living of the program, you know, we realize that we are, each individual's on a similar path through recovery. We're just other addicts trying to get a day clean. And that, you know, gives me a broader perspective on the world and a broader perspective on life. Um, I don't. And again, this goes to something we talked about a couple weeks ago. I don't know where normal people get that influence. I don't know where earth people, maybe that's the problem. Maybe they don't get that influence. And so their religion is Fox news, you know, their spiritual teachings do come from this one sided or, you know, CNN, whichever one. I just, I know for me, luckily, you know, I'm a person that gets to 
learn about spiritual principles, learn about compassion and understanding and open mindedness. So that when I do talk to the people, because I work with some people that are also, you know, right wing Trump loving, you know, fucking make America great again, people. And uh, I have really try to practice talking to them about, cause we'll talk about that stuff, but I try to do it from a place of understanding. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from, but have you thought about it this way? Have you looked at it this way? Have you, and I can only hope to influence the limited amount of people that are in my sphere through, you know, my, uh, hopefully compassionate, understanding, open-minded way of talking about things. And, create like a ripple effect. You know what I mean? Like hopefully I can ripple out to those people who just maybe will stop hating on the other side so much and just maybe be able to look at, even if they don't agree with me, they can at least say I'm not some self-righteous fucking asshole that they can just dismiss and throw in the trash, you know? See, I, I don't know. I, I like to think that our program offers a place where it's not politicized and Maybe it's not political, but I find that I see the same problem. Um, and it's so uh, there are some people who are very political from our program on Facebook and, and you know, tend to constantly post hateful things about one side or the other or, or things of that nature or very much belittle people who have different beliefs. And that's not fucking spiritual to me. And I'm always questioning like, what kind of program are you fucking working? If that's, you know, your basis of how you live, you're not carrying these principles into all your affairs. What's so fucking ever. I don't care how stupid you think someone is. That's not spiritual. Um, but the, the other aspect is I see it come up in, it's, I don't know if it's politicized. I feel like this pandemic has been politicized, so it's hard to take the politics out of it, but I feel yeah. like there's decisions made in our fellowship or our program that are splitting people into one of two factions at all times, right? It seems like everybody just decides that there's going to be two factions for every fucking problem now, and, and that's how we're going to handle it. So I don't want to call it politicized, but it very much feels like it ties into politics. Um, and like the people who say, well, uh, we're a program about saving lives. We need to stay home and do virtual meetings. We have the ability to let's save lives. And the other faction that says, no, you're fucking wrong. People are ODing because we don't have in-person meetings. And so we're not saving lives. We're hurting people. And which one's going to save more lives? The people who are meeting in person to stop the ODs, which is no guarantee you're going to stop the ODs. Or the people who are, you know, meeting online to not spread the, the virus. And it's like it's begin becomes I'm right. You're wrong. And, and that's where everybody's at. And and it's this, what I'm reading about all this black and white thinking, right? All this, there's one right way to handle this and how we need to look for that Goldilocks thinking in the middle, right? This, this isn't too hot or too cold. It's, it's just right. And I don't know what that is, but I, I just feel like when we surround ourselves with one input, or whatever input that we surround ourselves with. I don't know how to use that to our advantage to help people be more well-rounded, right? How do we get more well-rounded information to find that Goldilocks spot? Because we don't, we're just getting the hot information or the cold information. We're not getting that, that just right bed to lay down in and take a nap. And so I guess for me, it's, it's disheartening that it's always like, Oh my God, if you don't take these safety measures, you're 
you're a fucking ridiculously self-centered jerk. And, you know, if not, let's all get our AR-15s and storm the Capitol. Like, it's, it, there, what the fuck is the in-between? Like, where is the, the, let's come to some common decency things to do for everybody and then do the best we can with it. And so tying back to where we started with this, like, I think that's why it's important for people to think a little bit about stuff like the trolley dilemma. You know what I mean? It's important to think that, hey, you know, I have an opinion here. I I have what I think is going to be best for our society. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to be right. That doesn't mean that, you know, I there is even a right. I mean, again, in the trolley dilemma, is there a right in that dilemma? You know, I, I don't know. And. In fact, I'm not even sure what I should do. But we are in a point where people feel like they need to be forced into a corner. And I guess what I try to do is not let them force me into that corner. You know, like say we you and I can have a conversation where we disagree, but I I don't by any means like get angry at you or think that you're wrong or think that your point of view is stupid. Like I'm able to sort of sit back and go. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I can empathize with that. I might not necessarily agree with it, but it doesn't mean you don't have a valid concern that your things that you're bringing up aren't in ways true. I mean, yes, there are some risks. There are some things that, you know, as a human being, I should be willing to acknowledge um, that you have some rightness in that whole trying to figure out what we're supposed to do moving forward. And those are the ways I think that we help to find that Goldilocks place. You know, it's like if you just start yelling at me, then I'm going to get like my defensive walls are going to come up and then I'm going to hold stronger to my points of view. And then, you know, I'm going to start yelling back and then your walls are and then we're in the fucking, you know, you're stupid and you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And so, yeah, right. We are in a very weird uh you know, we're in a point in society where all this like social media and the separate like media being so biased and all that. I mean, I think this is fairly new for our society in the last 20 years, I'd say. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, I can just cross my fingers and pray that this is a growing pain and that things are going to going to get different. I mean, because so now I'm going to go off on a little bit of a side thing, but almost like you talked about what what's happening like social media and stuff is they figured out like, Oh, we can get you to engage. And in fact, we can get you to engage more by picking a side and making you argumentative. Like if we can get you to be argumentative and get your anger up and your walls to come up, you're way more likely to engage with people online than if you're like in the middle and not really sure. And like me, I read a lot more stuff but I don't engage and like, like, and dislike and share and you know, all that shit. Like I don't do that. So in essence, you know, social media isn't targeting me cause they don't care about me. I'm not engaging with their platform enough. You know, they care about the people or what feeds them is the people that engage and post the negativity and get angry. So I, I actually listened to a podcast about this a while back <clears throat> about when the the time when they used to do a little bit of both sides of the information on every newscast or on every channel and give topics equal time 
And that happened when it was governmentally regulated. And then when the regulation stopped, this is what you get people doing what they want to do. And so this is, I think, I don't I, I that's a little jab in there to throw in that. I, I, I don't think people, I, I get how you operate from a place of people are genuinely trying to do well. I think that's a beautiful place. And I do think that helps you to be a better person. And I can understand how that helps me to be a better person operating from that place, but to literally run the world as if people are better, I think is irresponsible because I don't think they are. Uh, I think they will without regulation and being told what to do will their ugly nature will come out personally. I don't think they actually will do better. It's nice for me to believe they will in order for me to act better, but I don't really think they will. Um, Yeah. You and I can have this conversation that we had earlier and disagree and I'm not going to hate you or think you're stupid. Right. But truthfully uh, who I am, that's not happening with most people I talk to. Like I I really do get self-righteous with a lot of people I would have this conversation with and I would judge the fuck out of them and and be like, (laughs) what is wrong with them fucking idiots? Right. And that's, that's a struggle of mine that I work on in, 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 in my life. And I know it's not right, but what I, I guess what I'm getting at with that is, I think this conversation with two people who respect each other is few and far between. And I don't think 95% of our population is getting that. I don't think most of us are getting a place where we can actively discuss alternative ideas and, and truly listen to them. Right. Like I'll actually listen to what you have to say. Anybody else tells me that bullshit. I'm like, you're a fucking moron. I'm not listening. Like, (laughs) And so it's, I don't think most people are getting that. They've found a way to delete those people off their Facebook, right? They unfollowed yeah. them and unfriended them, and and none of that gets presented on MSNBC or Fox News. What's that? Echo chambers, they call that. Yeah, and and so if that's all we're putting into us, man, I, I agree. It is over the last twenty some years. I think the regulation on equal time ended in like 1987 they said or something like that and so this is recent where we've evolved into just shouting from opposite sides of the country and and i think it's dangerous and i i don't know how to fix it i don't know how to get us back to we are what we put into us so how do we get back to putting better stuff into us Hmm. i just don't know and interestingly enough i heard a, a, a podcast about you know when partisan politics really took a sort of uh what i'll call a major step backwards which is where they really started to like divide and uh they talked about it being uh c-span when c-span came online and they started showing you know like these congressional hearings and these meetings and all that stuff like what what the audience responded to was politicians that were you know, charismatic and making these big, bold statements about the other side and how they were destroying, you know, Americans. And, you know, then it became like a, like a, a show almost because that was their platform to rally an audience was through this television media, you know, that was new and uh, that, that, that began it. And I'm sure now like with modern social media is just, 
compounding the same problem. So. Oh my god, dude, it's so fucking ridiculous. I will walk by the TV downstairs sometimes and hear some shit like, this governor literally hates his fucking people and wants them to die. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, you really believe that dumb shit? Come on, man. And, and see, I'm lucky enough to have people in my life that balance me. You know, like, like Jen, for example, my wife, for example. She is, you know, she's into advocacy. She fights against injustices that she sees in the world and uh she doesn't tend to look at most people overly optimistically like i do and she doesn't think that most people have the best interests (laughs) of people you know like she's a she's a very different uh perspective than me and i am grateful that i can listen to her because it does help sort of whatever you want to call it, like reel me back a little bit from the ledge. Because again, left of my own, I'd probably keep going in one direction thinking that I'm right and eventually get to that self-righteous place. But, you know, I have people in my life that I love and that I care about that I'm willing to sort of conversate with. Um, And I like to say that's because I can converse in a way that's not threatening or insulting to people because Obviously, I know that there are people that I've started down the road of those conversations with, and very quickly, within two or three sentences, I'm like, oh, I can tell this isn't a conversation I want to have, and I withdraw, and I'm done. Yeah, I, you know, and I can let it go and, like, walk away with being like, that's not a person that's worth engaging with in this way, (laughs) like, you know, and I have to do that for my own benefit, because I know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is I'm going to start you know, they're going to get their voice up and I'm going to get my voice up and then we're going to be arguing because I don't agree with. And then I'm eventually going to call them stupid because that's where it goes. It's like, you're just stupid. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't like to go there. You know, I don't right. like it that way. Yeah, I think I think uh, and I, I love that you have Jen in your life. That's uh, that's awesome. I, I do. I, you know, I'm going to be a social worker and not too long from now. And that's what I've been trained to do and learning about standing up for vulnerable populations that don't have a say. And I think that's where a lot of my like pushback comes when people say people are stomping on our rights. And I'm like, there's so many vulnerable populations that if we didn't do it this way would have their rights trampled on, right? Like, like vulnerable populations already have their rights trampled on anyway, daily, but you know, so now it happens to the rest of society and now we care, uh, but we still want to trample on the vulnerable people <laughs> again. Like it's don't infringe on mine. Like fuck them people who don't matter. They're, they're a smaller portion than us. And it's, I think a lot of my outlook comes from looking at things like that as opposed to just how is this affecting me? And maybe that's part of the schooling I went through to, to look more at how this affects others or, or maybe again this is something i i bring up regularly uh i think as humans we take credit for things that come naturally to us right yeah. here's a great example are we way too long i don't who gives a fuck anyway so <laughs> i got a watch for my birthday and and i walk and i it registers like automatically if i'm walking or if i'm riding a bike or whatever and i'm like that's cool it figures it out it automatically tracks what i'm doing right and so a lot of days I'll be walking and uh, it'll track me as riding a bike. And so for a week and a half, 
I'm walking around. I'm telling my wife how smoothly I walk. I'm like, bro, I walk and it doesn't even register that I'm going up and down. It thinks I'm riding a bike because I walk so perfectly, right? <laughs> <laughs> so come to find out, it registers I'm riding a bike on the days I'm pushing my baby in a stroller because my hands look like they're holding the handlebars. Uh. <laughs> has nothing to do with how great I walk, right? right? But I'm instantly ready to take credit for something <laughs> and make myself out to be good. And so a lot of this quarantine has to do with that for me, I think. Mm. It's come naturally for me. It's been easy to sit at home and not fucking see people or talk to people. I'm like loving it. I'm like, I don't want to go back. And so because it's so easy for me, I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with everybody else that they can't care about people? Well, it's not that I care about people. It's that it's easy for me, right? And so I think a lot of our shit comes into we do what comes naturally to us, and then we want to take credit for how great we are and judge others for how terrible they are when it might be more difficult for them to do whatever it is we're trying to do. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I guess for me, it seems almost the opposite. Like, it, this is difficult for me to be kind of what I would call like stuck at home, you know, kind of what feels like doing nothing because I am a person that likes to stay busy all the time doing things and I'm social and I like to be out and going and doing stuff. And I've, I've heard some people say that that's unhealthy, similar to what you were talking about earlier, that that's a way of avoidance or whatever. Um, I've, thought about that and sort of for myself dismissed it been like no I still you know like I still engage in recovery I still try to look at myself I, I don't try to like ignore all my flaws and just keep busy all the time you know but I like to stay busy and doing stuff all the time you know it's just I'm not a big sit around at home all day I mean so much of the time you know even on vacation I'm like we're there at the place and we're kind of sitting there and we're just at home watching a movie doing like a family movie night and i'm like eh, you know i'm trying to just be there and be present be there and be present like it's it's hard for me to do that you know just to sit and be present with the kids what feels like in my head like this is a waste of fucking time i'm watching some stupid disney movie that i really don't care about and in that case i'll do it because like hey it's my kids and they had expressed interest in doing that. And so it's bonding time with them. Like I can, I can justify it a little bit more in those cases than like a day, like today where the kids are kind of doing their own thing. I'll do the podcast. And then the rest of the day, it's like, I'll just kind of be here when I feel like there's better things I could be doing. <laughs> what would you be doing today? What would you want to do today? If you could. Uh, it's hard to say. So normally what I would say is there would be something probably going on. There would be someone's birthday party, a family event, a, a recovery event that I might be at. Um, <clears throat> usually between those things and then what things I need to get done around my house as far as things like cutting the grass or fixing a thing here and there, like my time stays pretty filled up. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but I like, I personally like doing social things. You know what I mean? I like going to birthday parties and events and cookouts and recovery events and hanging out with people. Like I, I just, I enjoy that kind of stuff. 
I was just picturing when you were talking about things to do today, because it is a, a beautiful looking day outside where we're at. Uh, I don't really have any grand plans for the rest of my day, except to just chill out and fucking relax. I had a nice fire last night. Like my kids camped out in the tent a few nights this week. Like we've, you know, had some interesting things, but I was thinking when you talked about what to do today, I was like, man, I miss that we did NA softball last year. Like that was a lot of fun. And I'm, if we don't do that this year, which it don't look, I don't know. I don't know how, you know, but I will miss that. That was fun. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it is definitely some things for some people are a little harder. The other thing, and and we won't get too far into this, I guess, because then we'd be another probably hour. But, and I briefly mentioned it to you earlier, is there are some things that have become aware to me of like how, I don't want to say uninvolved I am with my kids, but normally in their day-to-day lives, the way things work is they go off, they go to school for their eight hours, and then I get that few hours of interaction with them sort of when I get home from work and they get home from school. And that time has usually been filled with organized things that they're involved with, whether it's horseback riding or sports or, you know, whatever, um, things at their school that are going on and they're usually sort of organized and scheduled and someone else takes care of the agenda if you will and then it's just my time is just being there with them being present you know supporting them what i would call supporting them now all of a sudden none of that's there and so my interactions with my kids have been I don't know if superficial is the right word, but it feels much less. They do their thing. I do my thing. I come home from work. I'm tired. You know, I make dinner and then I go work on whatever I have to work on around here. And uh, it's like without those things being scheduled and forced, they're non-existent. And that's pretty sad for me <laughs> Like to see sort of my son has been sort of went down this road of playing video games and not really being very active. And so he's put on a little weight and he's not eating well. And, you know, I see those things. Um, And my discipline to been, to been able to fix that has been absent. And it's, it's quite disturbing actually. It's like, I feel like I'm such a good parent and I do so well in all these areas. And it's like, well, what I do good at, You know, what it feels like is I do good as a chauffeur to get them where they need to be. And then as a cheerleader to cheer them on for whatever they're doing. And uh, not that those things are bad, but it just highlights areas where I'm lacking, you know, this particular Hmm. sort of stay at home. And I don't know that I recognize that in the beginning. I'm, I'm recognizing it more now that we're into it. You know, it's like, huh, these are some areas where I feel like I'm really falling down. That's interesting. We don't get a whole lot of outside input as to what parenting looks like from actual outside individuals, right? Like we get society's take that we come across somewhere along the line of what we're supposed to be doing as parents. Um, But I found it interesting even expressing like at times to my wife about what I feel like I'm failing at in parenting. And she'll say, well, when I was growing up, that's not what my parents did. Like, I'll say something along the lines of, I feel like I'm supposed to spend more time with my kids somehow, like interact with them, play a game with them, catch something, right? And she'll say, generally, growing up, not that I didn't play catch with my dad once in a while, but the majority of the time, my parents did not hang out with me 
right? Like it's go out and do your own fucking thing as a kid. And then we feed you and shit and you go on vacations with us. And it was like, even that was a revelation to me. Like, am I not supposed to hang out with my kids all the time? Like I kind of <laughs> thought I was supposed to. And so uh, I don't think we often get that from other people. Like that's just from my wife. And then, you know, talking to you, I'm going to get something different and talking to people. Like, what do you do with your kids? Like I don't spend all day with my kids whatsoever. And I'm home. I'm not working right now. So I'm here with them all day. I don't spend all day with them. Like, a lot of time they are on their own unsupervised kind of do what you want time. We do have some hours in the morning where we do homework all in the same room in the afternoon. We generally go out for an hour, you know, to make sure they get outside for something. Uh, at night we've been alternating free nights and, and watching a movie together or something like that. But I don't know the fucking rules or what proportion of my time is supposed to be with them or what's healthy. Like I have no fucking clue. I, I don't. And so I, I think not to say that what you're doing is right or wrong. It was just the evaluation of we don't ever get outside input into that. Like, I think maybe we would probably be really surprised if we talked openly about parenting more often with more people. I think we'd be surprised at a things we're not doing that other parents do and B things we're doing way better than we think we're doing. Yeah. And so I, it's interesting. I don't know what your responsibility is. Honestly, I have no idea. Yeah, and it's it's definitely tough because you don't know, and I don't even think there is a right or wrong. I think each kid is different, and what their you know needs are is going to be different. And I and this is where for me it, it I guess the awareness comes from. So my older two girls seem to be way better. Maybe it's just age, you know. I could be just forgetting when they were ten, but because my son is ten or eleven, I'm sorry, he's eleven. He'll be twelve this year. Um, they seem way better at their self-management skills. Like my son, if I go up at, you know, two in the morning, if I'm not up there shutting the Xbox off, he's up playing video games. You know, he's at two in the morning and then he's coming down and eating like snacks and shit all night. You know, he won't come down for dinner or he'll come down for dinner and be like, Oh, I don't like this. I don't want to eat and, you know, leave half his plate. And then he'll be down here at two 30 in the morning eating half a box of cereal and, you know, it's like those kind of things that I didn't, I didn't have those experiences with my daughters. So I don't know that it's anything almost like you said, taking credit for something that I don't even get to take credit for. Like I didn't, I don't feel like I did anything that made them that way. They just seem to be better at it right. than he is. And he seems to be, you know, a terrible self-regulator at anything, you know, taking baths, um, you know, putting on clean clothes, you know, he's the type of kid, like say, if, if I don't check his outfit before we go out the door, he'll wear fucking pants with holes in it and t-shirts with stains all over it. And he doesn't care, you know, he hair won't even be brushed, you know, <laughs> like he's constantly trying to walk out the door with sandals on in the winter, you know, like shit like that. That's interesting. So, I mean, there's definitely something to girls maturing faster than boys and, and, as much as we do a lot of societal, uh, you know, raising people to be women and men, the truth is there are some differences that we start with automatically too. Um, they're just not as drastic as we make them out to be. I don't believe. Um, but yeah, I raising twins, I had twin daughters, um, first. And so that has been an experience of me learning that I can give them pretty much the same thing and get two different outcomes. Um, and so it really has, 
much less to do with what I think I'm doing than it than I thought it did. I thought it was like I'm gonna raise these perfect kids and it'll be great and like it's just not how it works. And so I, my kid issue right this moment, um, well, the the main one. There's a lot of them, but the main one. One of my twin daughters, who's 14, she'll be, you know, going into high school next year. And um, she has a lot of the attitude and personality I had at that age. And honestly, if if we weren't stuck at home 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I would probably swear she was getting high right now just because mm-hmm. of the way she's acting. Um, but I know she's not because she's not leaving the house. Right. So <laughs> I know it's not that yet but there's just a disregard of consequences i'll deal with that when it comes uh i don't really care uh most of this revolving around schoolwork and such um and it's it's fucking terrifying right it's terrifying to think man she could be on that road and you know and just looking at the odds of well i have five kids like odds are at least one of them's gonna end up down that road and yeah having to think of what it'll be like to go through that and if i ever lose one and it's just what the fuck man like that's that shit is heavy to sit with and and to know that really there's nothing i can do about it right this second and most of my parenting damage is done like i haven't done it perfectly i'm trying to get better still always but there's damage that's been done and i can't really undo it and it's it's going to be for her to figure out uh, a lot of that moving forward and uh how to best support her and not make it worse and not live in anxiety and fear of it all the time. Like that's been a real test to what's going on in my life for the last week and a half. It's just, I don't know what the fuck to do a lot of times with that. Yeah. And it's, it's always hard to tell which is just part of normal growing up. Cause of course we have similar things with my son, but again, it's easy to go, well, he's 11. I can explain a few things. I'll try to put some hints in his brain and hope that he gets older and they start to sink in. Um, when he gets to be 14, 15, I'm keep my fingers crossed. Some of that's going to change, you know? right. but in my daughters, I mean like my, my 14 year old or 15 year old now, my 15 year old is more, probably more responsible than my 18 year old, you know, it's just, and not that my 18 year old is not a good kid. She's a great kid, but the 14 year old is probably more responsible as far as I can count on her to do things that she says she's going to do to be where she says she's going to be to follow through on stuff. She makes promises of, you know, she just, she's better at that stuff, you know? And uh, even though she's younger and then like say with my son, you know, a lot of it's easy to say, well, he's 11. My expectations are ridiculous. I got to do a better job at setting boundaries and setting these things, but you know, and then just pray that it goes good. (laughs) You You know, you just said something that's interesting to me. I've always looked at the, like you talked about your 14 year old or 15, sorry. And, uh, her behaviors are more responsible than another person's or something. And I've, my whole life have spent looking at that view as well. Uh, and I constantly, I don't, I hate to say that I constantly do this, but I do this pretty regularly and this is shitty. So here we go. Confession time. (laughs) I, uh, I point out that my wife acts very similar in a lot of ways to my children, right? Like not picking up after herself, not putting her trash in the trash, leaving it wherever she was sitting, not 
putting her food dishes in the sink, just leave, like there's ways that she does things, misplaces keys. And I'm like, that's not responsible or considerate of you. Right. Come to find out she's been diagnosed with ADHD inattentive. Is it not responsible of her? Or does she have the same problem I have, but mine's depression at times, right? Mm. Where I'm incapable of doing things. It's not that I wasn't responsible. I just couldn't fucking do it. And so I look at that and and when I heard you say it, it really stuck out to me. I'm like, damn, I've been judging all these people by their supposed level of responsibility. Maybe this is like a mental health issue. Well, and it's, I mean, it's funny that you bring that up because Jen and I were just recently having a conversation about that with my older daughter. And we've seen some like, whatever you want to call it, like warning signs that her anxiety is really high. We've seen her getting like overly emotional on things that shouldn't be that emotional. You know what I mean? Like just minor criticisms of things. She like totally breaks down and like loses her shit. And so we actually talked about recently, like, Hey, when, as this stuff starts to open back up, we really need to get a counselor, you know, get her into some kind of therapy or counseling. Um, She was seeing a counselor before she was not interested in going back to her. So, you know, we're going to embark on, finding a new one, finding someone else. Um, so that was just a conversation we had last week. Like I say, maybe it is a, a just a mental health thing. We need to make sure that her mental health is, you know, cause she's had some anxiety issues. Um, she suffered some abuse, you know, so she's been to counseling before and it's always been a thing where we kind of let her go as long as she kind of wants or wants to do it. And then she'll kind of say, ah, I'm good for now. And then, you know, she'll decide, you know, we'll, we'll bring it up usually. Hey, you think you want to go back to counseling or do you think you need to talk to somebody? She'll let us know, you know? So yeah, could be that. Uh, Well, and there you go. So my 14 year old had just uh, gotten around to stating that she wanted to be back into some counseling. She had some when she was like uh, nine, maybe. And then it wasn't doing a whole lot. So we stopped and then she wanted to get back into it. We had just started that. She had been seeing a lady for like a month. And then this pandemic hit and I'm like, I talked to the lady and I'm like telling my daughter, look, you can do teletherapy. You know, it's the same thing I'm doing with people. Like, it's really not that bad as it sounds. You talk to people in video calls all day anyway, like trying to sell her. And she just had no interest in the teletherapy. And I'm like, I don't know. That's that's the one crappy part of this pandemic. Like uh, my daughter hasn't gotten to a resource that was available to her before. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't don't know either. For me, I'm like, hey, hopefully we're winding down. (laughs) We we might be. We might be. Maybe maybe this uh, predictions of the heat killing it off quicker and, you know, the measures we've taken already, maybe we'll be fine all summer. Maybe we'll have a wide open summer. Yeah. Who knows? One step at a time. I'll take the baby steps. You know, I'm good with that. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I got. I guess I got to establish like guidelines for what is it going to take for me to be ready to come out? Because if not, I'll just never come out. Yeah. <laughs> I need to establish like some some regulations for myself. My boss said the same thing. You're talking to him, you know, and like I say, he's a completely he's not a hysterical, irrational person. He's completely rational, you know, very intelligent person. And he's saying, he says, I don't know. It's, I I just don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable going out, you know, not ready. I'll tell you what I, and I, you know, all I can do is just say, yeah, I, 
I respect that. You know, not where I'm at, but I get it. I'll tell you what I am ready for. I'm ready to go fucking golfing. I don't know about anybody else, but I am ready to go golfing. And I have been trying to talk my wife into it for like a week and a half now. I'm like, just go. I know you don't really like golf, but just go. Just keep me company. Let's do it. Yeah. I'll go with you. <laughs> I'm not very good. Oh, I suck. I don't even just... have golf clubs anymore. I have to go get golf clubs. I got rid of mine. Dude, I don't even think I've played in like two years because I never fucking get there. But I am, I'm yeah. ready. I'm ready to golf. <laughs> yeah, I want to play too. So. All right, we'll have to figure that out. We have to. I gotta get you off during the week, man. I don't want to play. It's all crowded on the weekend. Yeah. Well, right now I can start taking off during the week. So <laughs> maybe you could take. Maybe you could just take like a half a day, and we could go yeah. in the middle of the day or something. I think they're making people drive their own golf carts. <laughs> like, yeah. You weren't allowed to have golf carts. Really? Oh, yeah. I might not want to play then. That's a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Look at Golf bag. <laughs> what the hell did we talk about today? Shopping carts. That's what I'm gonna. We're gonna have to yeah, call this episode carts. "Shopping Carts." <laughs> I don't know what the fuck yeah. we're gonna call it. I don't know, but I, this has got to be like three hours long or some crazy shit. Two and a half. Uh, yeah. Well, we talked so long in the beginning, so that's okay. The computer's uh, gone dead too. I was gonna have to cut it off at some point because the computer's down to like sixteen percent. I didn't grab the cord. I just brought it in. I was like, oh, shit, the battery's going dead. <laughs> well, that, that, that thing I sent you, that was brutally sober. That was Joe. He gave us a shout-out, but he also made fun of our Baltimore accents, which I thought was hysterical. So yeah. uh, that was pretty funny. And I don't know. Maybe people listen to this shit. Maybe they don't. But I enjoy it. Yeah. I had fun talking yeah, to you. Uh, so That's I guess fun. we'll uh, we'll say goodbye to everybody. And everybody stay safe in whatever capacity that means to you. And we'll see you next week, I guess. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.